So you have a twice exceptional child. It's pretty cool to have a kid with a high IQ, but when it comes with things like low motivation, problems with focus or impulsivity, wow, it can be hard to support their unique needs. Hi, I'm Dr. Roseanne, and I'm a mental health trailblazer. And join me as we have real conversations about real solutions to kids' problems. And today, we are going to dive into giftedness and ADHD and how it can be a challenge to have a kid whose brain is like a Ferrari, but their brakes are like a bicycle brake. So let's dive in and talk about all the ways to help support and nurture those beautiful brains. Well, welcome, Karen. I'm so excited that you're here. Not only are you somebody in my life that has become a friend, somebody I consult with about SEO and writing, you are a past client from quite a long time ago. Quite a long time ago. We are, let's see, nine, six years. Oh, it's got at least, right? It was kindergarten. It was the end of kindergarten. So yeah, like eight years, eight years. Yeah, yeah. And so I had the absolute pleasure of helping your twice exceptional son who is gifted with ADHD. And this whole conversation is going to be about having a twice exceptional kid. And you, just so, you know, I always crack up when I talk to you. You are one of the most quick-witted, snarky Funny people, I know. So your son, of course, is nothing but charm and sass himself. So, you know, the apple isn't far from the tree. So talk about your journey, because when he was young, when your son was young, you started to realize, wow, he's really bright. He's got a lot of energy and he doesn't always pay attention. So what Talk about your journey from getting there, doing neurofeedback to being an amazing high schooler today and what led you to this path? Well, it really started. And this is this is the thing that's the hardest about being a parent of of a twice exceptional kid. Problems start super early because we started having problems when he was four in his well, three and four, because his preschool just didn't know what to do with him. And that's totally okay. He could think a lot faster than other kids, but he was emotionally the same. So everybody makes assumptions that because your brain works faster, you're automatically more mature. And that's if you have ADHD and giftedness, that is definitely not how it works. In fact, a lot of times he would be emotionally less mature. So we had gone to a therapist who was a friend of yours and loved her. We did about a year and a half of group of social skills group and he went to kindergarten and kindergarten turned out to be pretty much what I thought it was going to be which was not necessarily great I know Um, you send him and you're like I hope it's all going to sort out and I knew it wasn't I mean I kind of knew it wasn't in fairness you know he has a personality that on top of being gifted and ADHD he's also like super willful and stubborn which is a personality trait absolutely He had that personality trait in the womb. I asked him not to be born on February 20th for reasons. I went into labor like overnight and I had the baby by five o'clock. So like nine months of don't being born on this day, he went start to finish on that day. He's like, I'm coming out on February 20th. I am doing exactly the thing you told me not to do. (laughs) And you know, he was like that as a little kid. He would tell him to do something and he would honest hand 
to the universe. He would look at you, stare, and then go and do it anyway. So that was just his personality. We got to kindergarten. It was it was not the best personality for a kindergartner to have. And he would be bored. And when he was bored, he would just do stuff, you know, and he didn't have impulse control because ADHD. And we spent a lot of days on yellow and red and very few on green. Oh, that the whole red light, green light. I hate it. 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 Such a negative reinforcement cycle. Oh, and I have to give his kindergarten teacher credit. Like we started the journey that ended up with you earlier around mid school year. That woman took him in kindergarten through all of the second grade site, all of the sight words from kindergarten through the end of second grade in the span of like two months. She was committed. She She was committed to the cause. Like Mm -hmm. Mrs. Doyle bless. There are some, I mean, especially in kindergarten, I feel like teachers have such love in their heart and they try so hard, you know, but when you're gifted kid and they're bored out of their flipping mind, it's hard. Yeah. It was hard. And I, I will say we had good teachers all the way through. The individual teachers were great. I don't necessarily feel that the school district as a whole was great, but the individual teachers did everything they could. And we did not have a bad full year with any of our teachers. I would like to give props to like Bugby Elementary School in West Hartford, Connecticut. Woo! This is Browse, top notch principal. We got to know everybody very well. Like I was on first name basis with everybody by the time we left. At the end of kindergarten, we came to you to get testing. There'd been some messiness around what happened in the school. So we're like, you know, what? we'll just, we'll go to you. And you did the diagnosis and he turned out to be who he is. <laughs> and that kind of started us. Um, yeah. And we got to see like, really, what were his gifts? What were his strengths? How could we harness them? Yep. And then what areas did we need to work on? And boy, he, you know, he was definitely ADD. Oh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> Even now I'll be like, Dude, your A is dating so hard right now. Your attention is deficiting so hard right now. It's ridiculous. And it was funny because if you're a parent out there and you don't, aren't sure, one of the things that I will always say is you could tell when my kid had anxiety, he was a kid who would spin in circles, just randomly spin in circles for no good reason, except he had an abundance of energy and just needed to get it out. He gets mad when he's anxious. You can still tell today, like, he'll just get mad about something out of nowhere. And I'll look at him and be like, oh, oh school starting underneath that. Something's worrying him. Anxiety shows up in so many different ways. And we often don't consider, you know, like, think about anger. But it's very common. And especially for boys, I feel like it's even more common for boys. Mine comes out as anger. I didn't realize that until a, lo- a while back. And I wrote about it at one point. I have a blog post on Geek Mom um, where I talk about a, a, a series of She-Hulk. And She-Hulk is me. Like, I am Jennifer Walters during the day when I'm doing my, you know, my compliance writing and stuff. And then I am She-Hulk when my anxiety comes out. And we and don't I, want your She-Hulk. No. I've seen your She-Hulk. It's very scary. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's, that's how mine comes out. I can see it in him. And that's, again, it's okay as long as you recognize it for sure. what it is, that it's anxiety and it's, it's just, he doesn't have the words. So we did a year and a half with Miss Jen, who was fabulous. Love her. Um, She's the best. Uh, then we came down to you. We got our diagnosis. Um, We tried someone for neurofeedback who was local. It did not go well. It wasn't a good fit. How it about was we not that? a good fit. Yeah. 
I had a personality conflict with the person and, and it was just, it was not meshing. And I can remember we had gotten to a point and I remember calling you and I'm like, Dr. Roseanne, we've been doing this for three months. What should we be seeing? And your response was, well, did she do a baseline? And I said, a what? I'm like, well, no, 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 Karen, a baseline report. And I said, oh, oh, like I haven't seen one. Uh, and that was when we realized that maybe the fit was not up to my scientific brain standards. I'm very scientific minded. And Roseanne, you can even tell people how like not a believer I was. Oh, you were not a believer. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I think if it weren't for we had such a good experience, right, doing some neuropsych psychoed testing, but also you really trusted your therapist yes. who said, give it a try. And then you went to somebody who wasn't just a good fit, but it really wasn't moving the dial either. No. You know? No. And and just to know, there are a lot of forms of neurofeedback and you have to have the right one for the child. And I like EEG neurofeedback. That's the kind that I like. There's a lot of controllability. That's not to say the other ones aren't good. It's just certain ones are needed for certain things. And I find that EEG is more controllable. And my brains of the kids that I work with tend to be more complex and it allows for greater control. Well, I remember, so we came in, you did the baseline testing, we looked at it and we were like, well, okay, so see that part of his brain where it says there's no impulse control? It's super brightly lit up. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, that explains. Surprise. No. (laughs) Surprising nobody who ever met him ever. Um, And he's still kind of like that today. But Oh, and he's just a cutie pie. First of all, he's very handsome. And the teachers all did right by him because he's got a charm. He does. I have to say, it's it's kind of anger making because I don't want him to be so charming. Yeah. Like, I mean, let's be all honest. I say this with all the love in my heart. Sometimes your kid is just a jerk. Like sometimes they are just people you don't want to spend time around. Oh, especially during that funky, you know, tweeny, you know, they got to be 15 and a half and then they start maturing, Karen, just so you know. (laughs) I like the teenage years. I'm good with those. I didn't like the Every time, you know, I really do. You know, there's something to be said about every moment. You know, I was walking out the door today and I said to Giancarlo, I was like, you know, he's just turned 13 a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, what happened to, I love my mommy. She's like a flower. We have this little video of him <laughs> and we're, we play it every once in a while. My husband's like, you know, I'm playing that in the wedding when he gets married. You know? And, and, you know, he just rolls his eyes at me and I'm like, he's turning into a normal teenager. I'm like, <laughs> right. And we think we're so funny, Chris and I. We just think we're... Yeah, but we know we're... I mean, they, we, we got dumber ever since we turned 14. It's like you hit 14, that's peak intelligence. And then you just get progressively dumber. At least that's that's what I've been in, informed. You just get stupider over time. You don't really yeah. get smarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, did, did your son tell you that? No. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least we figured it out by process yeah. of elimination because he yeah. is so much smarter than we are because he knows everything. At totally time. knows everything. Okay. Absolutely. We have 100%. nothing we can teach him at this point. No. <laughs> so, yeah, so we can't to laugh you. at it or you really do think they're jerks. You know well, what I mean? And here's so. the thing. And it also depends on the relationship I think you totally. have with your kid. Um, I've worked really hard to have a very specific kind of relationship with my kid. I think we have a good one. You know, but it's also one where, like, there are certain things that we are a lot more lax about than other parents. Like, he will send me his new thing is that now he's taller than me. So he's five, six and I'm five feet. 
So his new thing is now he will send me, oh, you're so short, TikToks. I love that. You, I live in a house where I get razzed all the time and, right. I, and I love it. I think, and I came to the conclusion it's his way of teasing me without being yeah. super inappropriate. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You can't tell, you know, like, yo mama jokes don't work with your actual mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your friends, but get back there. But no, I, I think you're right. Not every relationship can be like that. But I feel like when you have kids with different brains, you got to find a way to connect on their terms. And a lot of times we get so frustrated with kids, we always want them to connect on our terms. And that's just not the way it works. It doesn't matter yeah. if they're a neurotypical or not brain. Right. You know? And so, it depends on your relationship with your kid. You know, I think with our child specifically, the part that was easiest for me is in a lot of ways, his brain works like mine. Minus the ADHD. I make up for everybody else's attention deficit in my house because I'm pretty sure, you know, my partner has some undiagnosed going on. I am like the over exuberant attention. So I'm like the OCD to like their ADHD and like you're hyper focused, like bam, get it done kind of girl. Yes. But because we think about things a lot of the same way, you know, he, I could see what he was trying to do and not succeeding so like i understood what he wanted to do and so we had come down to you so we're in first grade we were making the hour trip down to newtown twice a week for like six six months oh yeah started every in once May. in a while i'd see in the parking lot of ridgefield with a soccer <laughs> ball and because he had to get his energy out so yeah i know so we did that all summer long between kindergarten and first grade and we came down twice a week. And then that year we started uh, coming once a week or so. And we kept that up till probably like, I know we did it. In, I remember something in third grade that happened. So we had to do it for about a year and a half. We went down to like once every other week or sometimes yep. just coming in for like a little. And that was up. before my remote. That was before we sent equipment. Right. And we did it in person. Just if anybody's listening. That wasn't even an option. I would have taken that option hands down. You would have taken that apps and you would have done it yourself. <laughs> trust me i can tell you that one of my chief memories of my child is we were driving home from dr roseanne on i-84 outside of danbury and from the back of the car my kid asks mom how are babies made oh my god that is not a question you want to answer for your five-year-old when you're driving on i-84 outside of danbury no and the best part for all of you out there who happen to have the twice exceptional kids the most part of this whole story really is he'd been watching videos through like a school subscription. I forget what they were called. Brain something. Brain Pop. And he had Brain Pop Junior, which was like little cartoons, little bite-sized cartoons. And they had had one about reproduction, but it was the science of it. Like you have a, you know, the egg and it splits and blah, blah, blah. And so that's what I start doing. And I'm like, well, you know, this is how it works. And he screams from the back of the car because when you are the 2A kid who is frustrated because you don't understand something, I'll never forget. He screams like, I know the part, but I don't know how the sperm gets to the egg. In like the middle of I-84, he's having a temper tantrum. So, you know, I found a good parenting way to explain it and stuff like that. But like, those are some of the challenges of the two-week kid. Because their brains will go beyond just that basic, this is what was presented to me. And they start to question it. Well, they absorb more than they're supposed to. Right. So their brain is just picking up, picking up, but their most 2E kids are emotionally normal. 
So the, the deficit between the normal and the exceptional seems even bigger. And then you put a little impulsiveness or inattentive in there. And hello, you get a lot of questions, maybe in very inappropriate times. But their inquisitiveness and curiosity is some of my favorite parts about my two E-kids. Right. Like that's some of the stuff that like now that he's older, I miss. Yeah. I remember, you know, when we were when he was little, like every so often on my Facebook memory stuff comes up. And I had like a five-year-old who was reading Nathan Hale. And Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales, big fan. Shout out to that series. Really awesome. But like he was playing with like Star Wars figures and having them do like Nathan Hale stories. Like that was not your average five-year-old, six-year-old. Um, and it was super fun. There are so many great memories, but it does come with, you know, then they don't connect so well with kids their own age. And so that's also hard because you want them to have friends, you know, but they want to talk about things that the other kids around them maybe don't understand. I can remember we were even up till last year. It was last year. He was in eighth grade because he's in ninth now. And he had a friend with him. Very sweet kid. Liked this kid. And I forget what they were talking about exactly, but they're talking about things they like and don't like. So the two of them are sitting in the car and the kid asks, my kid mine what don't you like and mine goes social hierarchies <laughs> and the kid was like my kid i don't know what that friend. is and the friend goes what does that mean <laughs> you know my kid gave you know different power structures in a relationship or in society oh okay yeah. i mean we're coming back from like nomads adventure quest like you know we had just gone to the arcade and they messed around at the arcade and we're coming back and it's the kind of thing where then you have to look for the right place for your kid. Oh, my God. Because done the neurofeedback. Yeah. And um, we loved And he got more regulated. Got the more energy, regulated. the impulsivity came down. The focus improved. We didn't, all we did was enhance that brain and yep. make him much more connected yep. in his conversation. So, and I remember you looking at me one day and we had done some stuff and you look at me and go, oh, he's a beta kid. He's a beta kid, Karen. I'm like, I have no idea what that means. You're like, it's just what he needs. He's a beta kid. That's a really nice, <laughs> focused, calm brainwave. It's what we want. We want nice levels of beta. It really is like when you're just, I always try to explain it. It's like when you had a great night of sleep, you have all day to do something that maybe takes you 30 minutes and you just feel great. Like you just have all that focus, you do it and you move on. You know, it's like just a great feeling in the brain. And the funny thing is about, so I'm trying to think, so it must've been, so we saw you, I'll spend 2013, 2014. And I ended up luckily getting into a study about neurofeedback in 2016, which I can very specifically remember. And I had seen by this point in time, we had mostly been just going in like every couple of months for like a little, you know, tune up. Um, I'd already seen, I have to say, one of the other things that I say every time I talk to people who are like science driven and want the data, uh, I remember looking at my kids uh, post neurofeedback brain EEG, yep. brain map, and you could see the difference. The ability to compare the different brain waves and, and the pictures of the brains and the colors and see the differences, that was what made me, you know, the, the believer. Because I, I don't take anything on faith. I am I am fact-based. I am yeah. an attorney. I am a persuasive writer. Like those are, that's what I do. And I needed the facts. And then in 2016, uh, I ended up getting uh, chosen to do a study on neurofeedback. And the study 
was uh, to see what if if there were any benefits after I think 10 or 11, because usually it's supposed to be 15 or more sessions. That's right. And they were trying to gauge how much you could get. And I can tell you, as someone with high anxiety, often, and I'll be perfectly honest, like my anxiety focuses around like work and performance and money. Like that's, that's where a lot of my anxiety resides. I was doing this and I can remember very specifically, it was November of 2016 because a client of mine and I had gotten into a contract argument and things did not go well. And I suddenly lost a third of my income. I had a very different reaction to losing that client than I have ever had before. And I had been through, I had just completely, I was still in the middle of the study and I, I was still doing the neurofeedback. And it turns out I was not getting the placebo. Um, but I can very much remember like after that, my responses were very different than they had been in previous occasions where I'd lost a client. I was much more able to focus on what needed to get done. I was more able to put, okay, this bad thing happened and we're going to deal with it. And and we needed that money, but you know, this was not necessarily related to you, et cetera, et cetera. I was able to really pick things up and say, okay, what can I do? What actions can I take? And not being as debilitated by my anxiety as normal. So even if it wasn't the full effect, I can speak from my personal experience that I very much knew, like I was actually still able to sleep. Yeah, for sure. Right. You know, isn't that nice to have had that experience for even yourself, even though you got to see your son over time and see, you know, he here he is this many years later and he's maintained and continue to blossom really is what honestly, that's the other thing I want to say to any parents with two kids. It is a hard journey. And I feel that so much like you love them so much. You see all of their potential. You see them doing the bare minimum to not mm. get in trouble at school. I call my For sure, bare minimum baby. Karen. <laughs> I call him my bare minimum baby because he will literally do the bare minimum to make sure he gets a grade that's acceptable. Like, yeah, he doesn't have to work hard to get an A minus or B plus in school. So he will do the least amount of work humanly mm-hmm. possible to achieve that outcome. Yeah. But it's hard. We watch our kids. We want them to succeed. We see where they don't feel like they fit in. If you've got the gifted kid, they want those kinds of intellectual connections with their friends. They want to talk to people on a different kind of level. And that is super hard. Like, I I still struggle with that as an adult and wanting that kind of relationship in my life. But it's really hard for the littles. And they don't understand. And they'll gravitate towards older kids, too, and adults. Yep. Just yep. to find stimulating conversation. I think the hardest part, and like, you know, we've gone through this, like even just to understand, you know, exceptionality is exceptionality, whether it's high IQ, low IQ, everywhere in between, neurodiversity of every kind, learning problems, all that, emotional issues. You are entitled under federal laws to some level of support. Now, the difference is there's not a lot of teeth to the law in exceptionality of high IQ when you're gifted. And some school districts do an amazing job. There are certain states. I remember at this time, I happened to have like a cluster of gifted kids. It always happens. And I remember (laughs) somebody moving to North Carolina and I was like blown away. This kid was able to like be bused to like a regional school and get like the most unbelievable gifted program. Like I was like, Holy cow. Like, I remember thinking, Carol's just asking for like this, you know? (laughs) 
And like, you know, and it was, it's hard. And, you know, a lot of during that time, budget cuts have happened. They got rid of it. And and sometimes gifted programs are busy work too. Like they're and not I think, And that does not work for the two e oh, no. You know, uh-uh. I... I had a lot of issues here with our gifted program. I talked to several people about it. One of the requirements was to stay on task. Yeah. But you know what? And, you know, here here's the thing. And just to understand, like, the gifted mind is very curious and needs a lot of stimulation. And doesn't mean that everybody with a high IQ has a focus problem or a secondary issue. But they do co-occur at a, at a high rate. Um, whether it's things like autism or anxieties, very, very, very common with a high IQ, just because it's a lot taking in so much information. And you had mentioned to me when he was little gifted sensitivities, which yes. they have a lot of overlaps with yes. some other neurodiverse totally aspects. And I mean, I can clearly say for myself, like I'm older, I'm like, yeah, that one is me. That one is me. Yeah. And, you know, you don't know where it's going to be, but, you know, there is a difference when it's ADD. I mean, I have the luxury of doing QEG brain maps. You can really see the difference. You can see, okay, well, that's anxiety. Oh, that is ADD. But over time, your son that got some level of extra TLC gifted some sort of support. And of course, once he went into middle school, you can track and you can go into the, right. the higher level classes. That tends to be where gifted kids really rise. Yeah. Because elementary, it really is dependent on that teacher. And you're very lucky. He really did have great teachers. He really did have great yeah. teachers. And I cannot say a, ba- a bad thing about any of the teachers that we had. And I know that there were probably other teachers that would not have been as patient. Because they do, re- like the two-week kids require a lot of patience. Yeah, they ask a lot of questions, Karen. And they also can correct the teachers. Well, yes. That would have been the reason for the rubber band incident. That was the rubber band debacle of 2023, the last week of eighth grade. But... um, (laughs) Which we don't need to go into publicly. Let's go into it. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it later. But you know, that is a common thing. It's also common in kids in the spectrum to correct the teachers. And mm-hmm. you know, I, many times when I used to do evaluations, one of the top reasons I was called in, like, a, a private school would call me, and be like, "What's going on with this kid? Because he can't stop correcting the teacher." And I was like, "He's probably on the spectrum. It's probably." <laughs> And, um, you know, the rigidity in the brain of like, that's the wrong answer and not understanding the social nuances where my gifted kids would be like, listen, you do know more than the teacher. I mean, let's just be honest, but you don't have to tell everybody about it, you know, Right. and they would they would get it better. But clinical issues are different. And I think sometimes depending on where on a neurodivergent spectrum you are, it's really hard because my kid will ask me questions. And he went through a recent phase, which he'll admit to, about like being really obsessive about clean hands. And it took me about six months before I realized that and his hands got chapped and bleeding. It's a whole thing, which for the records, the new school that we are in, we are three weeks into our new school and his hands are so much better. And he even had mentioned that like he's not feeling the need to wash his hands as much like he's 13. He's asking me, mom, is touching this thing dirty? And I'd be like. You're 13. You should know this. But then you realize that, oh, it's it's the neurodivergent part of the brain that's pinging the question or he'll ask. uh, We'll set a rule 
and you get frustrated because the part, the kid will ask, well, okay, so if you say I can't have my phone, does that mean I can't have my phone to like, if I need the calculator for school? And you're like, well, he is the child of a lawyer, just so you know. Right. And you assume it took me a while until recently. I'm like, I don't think it's so much that he's doing it to argue with us. I think he's really trying to make sure that he understands what the parameters are, the parameters and the ground rules. Yeah. You know, because then it'll say, because we would get frustrated. I'd say, dude, like, just think, I was like, I know, I just want to make sure I understand. So now that he's older, when he asks those questions and he said, you know, in the past, I just want to understand, like, if this happens, does it count? Does it count if this happens? And I'll just be like, assume none of those extra, you know, weird things that you're coming up with, weird scenarios happen. But then you have to dial back and be like, right, just because he's got an IQ of whatever doesn't necessarily mean that something else in his brain, he may have a really big IQ, but he may have other things in his brain that are are impeding the ability to like just take in the information and let it go. Yeah. And even in that, like, you know, is that coming from he's starting to be more aware and not require as many of the bumpers? Is that an anxiety? Is that OCD brewing? Right. Mm-hmm. And just to understand the difference between anxiety and OCD, because I feel like this is. Oh, they are two different things. They are two, two different, different things. things. Two, two different, things. Many different things. Yeah. So anxiety is a persistent worry, typically something real. And from when it's just stress, it dissipates, right? When it's clinical anxiety, it goes on for a long period of time. OCD is a persistent fear that is intrusive that you have rituals around it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it can be questions. Sometimes it could be anxious avoidance behaviors. And you'll start to hear, you're lucky when it's almost anxious, reassuring questions. Because then you get to hear what's in the inside. But you may not know anything that's going on. Like hand washing is observable. Not everybody with OCD has hand washing. So many people come to me and they're like, I don't have OCD because, you know, like I don't have hand washing. But I count to seven every day, six times a day, you know, like. So, true story about me. Yeah. When I was teaching and when I was pregnant, my, my anxiety amped up a lot when I was pregnant. I think it was, I don't know what it was. And I actually went back on my anti-anxiety meds a little bit before I gave birth because I had a meltdown in the shower one morning. Apparently, once you actually are nine months pregnant, you can't just give it back. I mean, fucking and surprising. But I had a therapist at the time was explaining to her, like, we have a basement door in our garage, but the door doesn't lock. And I would some mornings get halfway to work and have to turn all the way back because I couldn't remember if I closed the garage door. I would do that at least four times in a row. That's obsessive compulsive disorder. That is. And it's interfering with your functioning. Yes, yeah, it was. Absolutely. Uh-huh, I would, yeah. And and she looked at me and she goes, four times? I'm like, yeah, you never told me about this. Like, oh, no, I thought it was normal. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> so many things, right? And these intrusive thoughts and little kids, you know, kids of all ages, a lot of times the thoughts are scary and they don't reveal them, but it's important to think about it. Hey, parents, look can you turn those stressful days into moments of calm focus? Well, that's exactly why I created Neurotastic Multimag Brain Formula. It's the brain booster that helps kids and parents stay centered and sharp. It's not magic, it's science, and it's just a spoonful away. Bring the balance with Neurotastic. Go to 
drrosanne.com forward slash magnesium to get special subscribe and save discounts with, of course, amazing gifts. drrosanne.com forward slash magnesium. Now, we're in high school. We're, we're along the way. We've really gotten good teachers, the right environment. And talk about today, because what I always want to paint the picture of, you know, when you do neurofeedback, it does create it does. a lasting effect. It really right? does. And yeah. I can honestly say that what's been fascinating to me as the parent is watching how he has matured over time and your problems don't all go away. Like, I want to be clear, like neurofeedback, and I think you would agree with this, neurofeedback totally. isn't like a cure for ADHD. I know. And that's why <laughs> I have the magic wand on my desk because everyone thinks I, you know, boop, and it's over. But like you have to regulate and calm the brain just to work on behaviors. Yeah. You know, we still have a lot of we have a lot of ADHD behaviors in our house. The intensity is different. The the impulsivity is different. The inattention, but they creep up in their own way. And some of it's developmental too. Yes. Yeah. And what's been fascinating to me is seeing where we were when we started and being able to see like as his brain matures, how the neurofeedback really brought everything all together. So yes, we're starting something when he's five or six, but now that he's 14, He's much more able to, because his brain and he has matured more and he is more psychologically mature, what he's able to do now is also kind of recognize where he's having a problem. And like, he will tell me sometimes, like, I just couldn't control myself. I didn't mean to do that. It just popped out. So he sees it now. Doesn't mean he can. Yeah. But but that's a learning, you know, talking about a first step. Yeah, it's a 14-year-old boy. Yeah. Like, how abnormal is that? Right. So there's a spectrum, there's a continuum of learning on that curb. And, you know, his brain is focused towards academic informational learning. And that emotional side, I mean, he's done really well socially, has had a really good group of friends involved in all different kinds of activities. Um, which is super important, right? I'm glad he's done well in school and in learning, um, but he's all become a really well-rounded human being. And, you know, I think one of the things, and, and this is probably one of the last stories I think we have time for, but this is a really important one. So um, if you have the two-week kid, they don't want to do stuff that bores them. Nope. If they are not interested in the thing, they will not do the thing. Sometimes even if they are interested in the thing, they're still not going to do the thing because they don't like the way that they have to do the thing. So my kid ended up in twice accelerated math last year, had their first high school mid. And my kid ended up with like a B plus, I think, which for almost any other child, I would say is the best is is a person. My kid studied for 20 minutes. It was not a good grade for having only studied for 20 minutes because he even admitted like a lot of the mistakes he made were like hard. He had a hard time going back over and checking his work. That's still something that he struggles with because I did it. And even I can say sometimes when I spell check stuff and grammar check stuff, it looks the same to me because your brain is sort of focused on what you think is there versus what's actually. So we had a long talk. I'm a lawyer. I did internal audit for banks for a really long time. And I told my kid, well, you effed around and now you're going to find out. So the punishment was not taking something away. 
A punishment was every day he had to write down because he had his own little way of doing things in his head. He had to write down what the homework was. And I said, look, if at the end of the year, I do not think that the grade on your report card actually matches the grade you should get if you put effort in, because he had some missing assignments in different classes that weren't his math class. I said, then I'm going to compare what you wrote down with what's in, in Google Classroom. I said, I'm going to perform an audit. He goes, what's an audit? I'm like, an audit is where you look at what you're supposed to do, look at what you actually did, and compare the two to see if you did I love this. you're supposed to do. His punishment was basically to write his stupid homework down. Like, that was the punishment. He hated that punishment with every breath in his body. And he looks at me and he hates when I have to give him a con. I shouldn't call it a punishment. I call them consequences. He hates when I give him a consequence. Because, like, your consequences are never just taking away my phone. Probably something that yeah, I actually I want to hear how this audit went, Karen. You know what? He did not miss a single assignment. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you one of the hardest things I find with 2E kids or even just, you know, gifted kids is they overestimate their intelligence and they don't, they resist organization. They always say, well, I, you know, I can just remember it, but I'm like, listen, Dr. Rose, genius. <laughs> I write all my stuff down. I don't want to hear it. Like you and I are super organized. I feel that it allows me to do so much more work. Because I'm organized, if I have to stop and be like, oh, what was that? I mean, that's just human brain. It doesn't have unlimited memory capacity. Right. I'm pretty sure there are certain memories I've lost, certain childhood memories I've lost thanks to things, thanks to songs I heard on radio. I think but you wanted think, to lose them. But anyway. <laughs> but, you know, I think for a lot of the 2 e kids or even just the gifted kids, the hardest part is really they don't want to do that. Even gifted kids don't always want to do the things that they don't like. No, but if they, they don't want to show their proofs in math. They don't want to do the extra stuff because they just want to get to the higher level stuff. And right. and there's a balance between that, right? It's why a lot of my families do wind up going to different kinds of schools. If you can find them, it's hard. And, you know, ultimately you have to nurture your child's gifts and you have to teach them processes because education is a process and, you know, they will go all the way through, you know, most kids to graduate higher level education. And I think now that we're in high school, I think the one thing I I think for us, I try not to give advice, but I think the only, the only thing I would like to say, because it is like, we are wrapping up a little bit here is now that we're in high school, we ended up in a private high school. I would recommend it wholeheartedly for families like us for like, we are clearly not your traditional family. I'm not a traditional family either. <laughs> but I, I want to keep it private because I'm trying not to like right. invade my kid's privacy. Um, I'm allowed to talk about him, but I don't want any. I'm trying to be yeah. you know, a decent parent on that level. I'll give you the 10 second story because this actually is my kid's personality in a nutshell and why we ended up where we did. So we looked at two schools local to us. We went on a tour of one back before the pandemic. My kid was like, I've already seen it. Don't need to see it again. All right. We went to another one because my kid had friends that were planning to go there this year. We did an interview for both within a couple of weeks of each other. I knew the the sort of learning approach that the one we chose to. I wasn't really sure about the other one. Turns out a little bit more traditional. Fun. Um, we're walking and I'm asking the, the, the tour guide. So what is what is like the student led learning here like? And this poor kid, I felt so bad for asking him because I've been a tour guide and I know how that feels. He looks at me and he's like, what does that mean? Like, well, clearly you do not have it here, but that is okay. 
And this is like a kid who's like, I'm an all APs, I'm a school. But they, he didn't know what it meant to have student-led learning, which for 2E kids is super, super important. Again, if they think it's useless, they ain't doing it. This was a very, totally. very prim and proper school. My kid goes in, talks to the admissions officer, comes out. We go in. Turns out the admissions officer who had like the best response to anything I've ever seen, thank God, was um, tells us, you know, she asked him what he wanted to do in five years or where he saw himself in five years is one of the questions. And, and you know, my husband and I were like, really? What did he say to you? As a two, he does. He thought a little bit like specifically, you know, he was a little bit yeah. constrained by the parameters of five years. And he goes, well, apparently what he said was he wanted to have a, a his own apartment, a job that paid well, that wasn't too high stress, mm. um, and that was flexible enough so that he could travel. He came up with bartender, which was not exactly the answer that I think that particular schools wanted to hear. Right. Although the admissions officer looked at us. And I looked at, at my partner and he looks at me and we look at her and we all just start laughing. And I said, well, I mean, he'd make a lot of money. He's got a personality. He's kind of hilarious. He's super charming. I mean, he'd probably make a lot of money as a bartender. He'd probably be really good at it. But, you know, that wasn't exactly sort of the focus that particular school wanted. And that's totally fine. It's about finding the right fit for your kid. As a matter of it's fact, always. And the admissions might- officer looked at me and then asked if we had looked at any other schools. And when I mentioned the one that we looked at, it goes, oh, that we we are now at, it goes, oh, good. That's good. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. So, like, I think a lot of it is about understanding what works for your child. We got back to the car. My kid was like, I don't want to go there. I'm like, oh, yeah. gee, that's too bad. I'm like, why? It's too preppy. I'm like, perfect. I'm fine with that. But it was about making sure that he had the option to look at the things that he thought he was interested in and be self-aware enough that he knew that it wasn't going to be a good culture fit. That's right. And that when we looked at it, we were very focused on he may not kid, if they're anything like mine, may not be the most self-aware about education. My kid really succeeds when he has a social environment that reinforces things. And the current school, the social environment, the kids actually call each other, talk about homework. Great. Which is another reason we're like, we know he needs to have that peer reinforcement. We want something that meets that. But it's also making sure that your kid will be able to learn in the way that their brain likes to learn. And, you know, Karen, I think that it doesn't matter if you're 2E. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're a neurodivergent, you have an issue with, you know, you're struggling with emotionally, socially. That educational environment and climate is so important. And it might be a great public school. It might mean a private school. It might mean homeschooling. A lot of my peeps homeschooling. I feel like, you know, I, I, my oldest is homeschooled. You have to do what's right. It might not always be the easiest path. I hope it is. But sometimes parents have to really do a lot to find that right nurturing environment. And if you have a child on an IEP, just because they have an IEP doesn't mean it's really giving them what they need. So, or a 504. So most of the time, unless you're getting in there and kind of squeezing the juice, it's not. Question for you. Now, you wind up choosing natural solutions for your son. What would you say to any parent who's considering natural solutions? Like, what would you like them to know? It was a hard choice for you. You really trusted your people, right? You trusted me. You trusted your therapist. What would you like somebody to know who's considering any natural solution, whether it's neurofeedback or dietary changes or a different school? What would you like them to know? I think 
do your background research, find the resources. Don't just find, sorry, I'm going to say this, but don't just find like the blog posts on somebody's website because I write those for companies. Karen, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, actually go out, do the research, find, find the medical research behind stuff so that you feel comfortable with it. Listen to other people because sometimes their experiences are different than yours. And sometimes their experiences are different from others. So find more than one or two people to talk to. And I would say really focus on what you know about your kid. Like we had done some of the naturopath stuff. I have nothing bad to say about it. I have bad stuff to say about trying to get it inside my child's mouth. And so therefore, for us, that didn't work. He was four. He was five. Like he didn't like it. It tasted yucky. It smelled yucky. Whatever his reason was. Uh, We used one that was like a flaxseed oil. He liked that. But like the work to get him to do the thing was not worth the outcome of the thing at that point in time. It's got to be the right thing for your family too, right? Great advice. And obviously, you know, what we talk about on It's Going to Be Okay is only science-backed solutions. I'm a fan of everything. If something is helping you and it's natural and there's no side effects, do it. And just be consistent about it. I think that's the other part. Um, final question for you. For anybody, you know, you worked with me. Geez, it really is 10 years ago at that yeah. point, right? What would you say for anybody that's considering working with us in any capacity, whether it's our neurotastic supplement line or taking one of our courses or doing neurofeedback? What would you say? What was your experience? What would you want them to know? So two things. One, trust the process. Once you're committed to it, trust it. Two. If you are like me and you are a cheapskate, a good way to think about the, the cost of something that seems like a lot, and this was one of the things that we did when we were thinking about neurofeedback and stuff like that, the cost up front may be a lot, but over time, if you were to use a non-natural-based solution like a medication, that will continue on into perpetuity. So when we did the math in our heads, we realized that if we had put him on medication, he would still be on it 10 years later. We would be paying a copay on that for the lifetime of him being on our medical plan. Did we spend a lot of, and on school again? We're spending a lot of money. Did we spend a lot of money on these things? Yes. Over time, is the long lasting benefit of them still getting a return on investment? Also, yes. So if you are the number cruncher in the family, I can promise you that your return on investment does not depreciate over time. (laughs) You're so analytical. No, I mean, honestly, there is people have a lot of objections in anything. The cost of going to therapy once a week for talk therapy without fixing and not regulating the brain. We're not fixing the brain. We're optimizing and regulating the brain. The cost of therapy for one year is over $10,000. So people need to realize, and I think therapy is important when your brain is ready to receive that information. If it's dysregulated, particularly anybody that's impulsive or emotionally dysregulated, it's not going to stick. There's no anchor. So anyway, I love our conversations. I'm so grateful for for you. You are an amazing person. And I'm so happy that your son has reaped the benefits. I am so thankful to you. And I sing your praises everywhere I go. And I know you do. And thank you. (laughs) You know, I am appreciative and it's worth taking the leap. It is worth taking the leap. 
Thank you. Thank you. You know, and if anybody's out there and they're struggling, you know, don't give up. This is all about it's going to be okay because you just need to take a step towards natural solutions. And when you are in it, it's terrible. I am 100% with you. When you are in it, there were five years of absolute in it. And I feel that out there, whoever is watching this, if anybody is, I feel that. And at the end of the day, what you will see once you finally get to move out of it because you've done the work and your kid has done the work, it's worth it. Amen, sister. Amen. Parenting is hard and there are so many ups and downs. And when you have a kid who's gifted and they're so smart and they're so chatty, but they're just lagging in some of those core areas that help them to be successful in school, it can be really perplexing. And in today's episode, we got to hear a success story and I hope it inspired you and got you thinking it's going to be okay when I take a step towards natural solutions. You need the right solution to help your child be successful at home, school, and life. And that's why I've created the Solution Matcher. Go to drrosanne.com forward slash help, D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N forward slash help to get the right solution for where you're at.